Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Welcome, everybody. And my guest today is Anthony Millen. Anthony, you are the founder and co-chair of Next, found on the web at next.law. Tell us a little bit about what you do. So Next is an innovative new model for delivering legal services for the full life cycle for startup and emerging growth companies. And what we have done that is is unique and innovative is we've productized a broad range of legal services that startup and emerging growth companies would need from formations to financings to IP to employment. And we offer them as fixed price packages to give predictability to founders on those services. We've then gone further and really changed the way the whole customer service works from more of a lawyer-centric model of customer service to a client-centric model where we have multiple tiers of customer service and customer relationship managers. We also incorporate a lot of technology to make things much more transparent, much more collaborative, and much more efficient. And true to our mission, which is to enable and empower startup success, we went and added in a marketplace of like-minded service providers like Silicon Valley Bank and Deloitte and other leading um, providers of services that have groups that focus on startups across a range of other service provider areas where our clients can have very be connected very quickly to the right providers when they need it. We offer Startup U, which is a masterclass of educational content and classes for startup and founders. And we'll be launching this year a platform around helping to make sure founders are investor ready and to connect them more efficiently and effectively to investors. So that is uh, kind of a, a, a broad description of what makes up Next.Law powered by Shulman Rogers. This is, this is a, a kind of a radical departure in the delivery of legal and professional services, from what I can tell, um, you know, no longer no no billable hours, just straight flat price, flat flat fee pricing for particular services with a defined deliverable in a defined amount of time, and as you say, you commoditized the delivery of legal services to startups. It sounds like a really great idea. How's it doing? We, we've been growing tremendously by productizing those services and, you know, we are able to give entrepreneurs the ability to have high quality, high touch services at, at um, in, in a predictable way. And uh, we've grown from a regional practice to a national practice wow. to a global practice. 
We've been recognized um, by Legal Week, the largest legal publisher in 2021, as the um, startup law firm of the year, next powered by Shulman Rogers for startup and emerging growth companies. We're finalists and we'll find out in, in a couple of weeks for the best law firm in the US for startup success and the most innovative legal departments. So we're getting a lot of um a lot of recognition and support. And we also get tremendous feedback from the founders that we we work with um just in terms of the the appreciation for the model and the way we really partner with them over the long term for their success. How do you I know you're the guy that was sort of the creative genius behind all of this. How did you come up with this idea? I mean, you're you've been a startup lawyer for a long time. Um, what got you thinking about this? So I started off on the legal side, the more traditional big corporate New York law firm pathway. And then I actually jumped into becoming a serial entrepreneur. And over a decade, I um, was involved in co-founding several institutionally backed startups. Um, and from that experience of being the entrepreneur um, on the other side of the table, a lawyer and entrepreneur, but during that period that I was on the company building side, I really got to experience what it's like to be the consumer of these legal services. <laughs> that doesn't and, sound like much fun. <laughs> and got to work with a lot of, you know, large global law firms during that period of time and really felt that there needed to be a different model that really more aligns the startup company's needs and the way they want to receive and the way legal services are really structured, packaged, price delivered, and service to make that really align to exactly the way an entrepreneur, if they were going to design legal services, how that entrepreneur would, would design it to work best and be most aligned to their needs. And so out of, out of that experience of being on the entrepreneurial side is really where the spark went um, that kind of led to the vision that has grown up and grown into next. And what's really interesting to me is you're not in Silicon Valley. You're in Bethesda, Maryland with Schulman Rogers. Yes. So what was really, you know, the way the legal field is regulated, it made tremendous sense to build this within a law firm just because of the way the legal industry is regulated. And then it made real sense to build it within a mid-sized law firm that had a very sophisticated practice, a lot of partners who came from, you know, some of the top law firms in the world, um, but had was small enough to be nimble and disruptive and innovative and to have a cost structure that's a fraction of the cost structure you know, th a third of the cost structure of big, you know, the big law firms. And so when we we put packages together, we can we can structure it in a way that's sustainable and manageable. And um was really fortunate to find that in in Maryland um with with Shulman and Rogers, which was a really uniquely positioned law firm that had all of those all of those ingredients. And so um, 
very, very shortly after meeting some of the leadership there, um, I joined and with the, with the goal of building next as as uh, as powered by and part of Shulman Rogers. And, and how do the partners in the firm, um, what's their thinking about what next is doing? Uh, people here are tremendously supportive, very, you know, very, very excited with um, with the progress and and with what we're doing. There was a culture of innovation here, and um, this really um, extends and and exp and is and is part of that. So uh, a lot of support, a lot of excitement with what we're doing. What is it that? Um... You enjoy most about what you do working with Next. I mean, for me, the the greatest joy and why I, you know, work is not work for me. I I love what I do, and um, is the interactions and the support that we give to founders, founders of startup companies. There's there's you know nothing more fulfilling, but also almost you know nothing quite as hard as turning a vision into into reality and a passion into reality and to work daily with people who put everything on the line who are working 24 hours a day seven days a week and putting their entire lives into bringing their dreams and passions and visions into the world um, to solve problems and have impact and to be able to provide a set of support and services in partnership with that group of people to help them really de-risk their companies and grow their companies and really empower and enable startup success um, for for those founders is what is what I love to do. So you know we're we're interacting and I'm interacting with founders all day long, seven days a week. And it's uh, it's incredibly rewarding and um, it, dr it drives us to want to be better every day at what we do and to not, um, you know, we continually innovating, we continually looking for new ways to, to help these companies be successful, both directly within the legal services we provide, but then through the entire platform that we build in. So what advice would you give to a young person who's thinking about trying to decide whether or not to go to law school or become an entrepreneur? You know, I have found that the, for somebody who's deciding whether to go to law school and become an entrepreneur, for me personally, the, the, um, the legal experience and the legal training that I got has been incredibly helpful in my entrepreneurial journey. And so, you know, one of the things about a, a law degree is it is it is tremendously versatile. And you can do, there are many, many pathways forward with that degree. Um, sometimes, you know, you have to, the time is right for your entrepreneurial venture and it's all in the timing and you have something that if you don't move on it quickly, the idea of kind of taking three years off and and not pursuing that, that, um, that venture by the time you come back around to it, maybe that particular door has closed. But 
you know, for somebody who's in law school and also feel, you know, they have an entrepreneurial spirit and edge to them, there there are a lot of ways to leverage those those two together. I I completely agree with you. Uh, I tell, I'm the chairman of the board, or the chair of the board of trustees of our local law school, and I tell um, I tell young people that go to law school, but that doesn't mean you have to become a lawyer. You can do so many different things with a law degree. But the training is, I think the training is far more valuable than the training you get as an MBA. And because if nothing else, you learn how to think critically. Right. Which, which is a skill that is lacking <laughs> in, in many, many people. And somebody who can think and write critically, I think, has a decided advantage over those who can't. Yeah, I I, I mean, it's, it's uh, I have a number of people who will kind of reach out to me for guidance and advice and exactly Doug what you is very similar to what I tell people absolutely so um do you deal with much conflict in your bit in in the work that you do do you have do you have do you have to I mean you're working with founders maybe you know we in terms of the stage of the companies that we work with relative to other areas within the practice of law, a lot of areas within the practice of law are rife and filled with conflict. Right. (laughs) You know, we happen to be in an area of practice where there is occasionally conflict. So there are times where you have founders who start a company together and 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 then um, as they start moving forward, it's in many ways, the relationship between founders is uh, you're working together in this, as I said before, 24 hours, seven days a week. If you're not aligned going into it, in terms of what the vision is, what the mission is, how fast you're going to grow, are you going to bring other, are you going to go out and raise capital? How fast are you going to raise capital? How much are you each willing to put in financially? How much are you willing to put in time-wise? There are a lot of questions that sometimes founders don't take the time to ask and explore at the beginning of a venture. When you don't do that and it rapidly becomes clear there is lack of alignment, you will lead with you'll run into conflict between founders and particularly in companies where the founders didn't get the right guidance up front and maybe all to both founders own 50% of the company up front instead of having shares vest over time suddenly the partner the, the founders one founder leaves and it's in a very um it's a, not in a in a good way, there's a lot of conflict and dispute, but you have one founder who's left, who owns half the company still. And so when we do see conflict, those are those are scenarios. But overwhelmingly, we're in an area that, especially during the early growth phase, people tend to have less, um, less conflict and people tend to be more aligned. There's a lot of shared mission, shared passion, shared energy. Even when you're negotiating with investors who are coming in, everybody wants the business to work. Everyone knows that you're going to be working together after the negotiation is done. And so people treat each other with respect during that negotiation. Um, As the companies mature and grow and interests 
between companies and investors and founders and other founders may start to um, not be as aligned, you that's like in everything else, you'll see conflict come in. I've, I've had I've had some really interesting experiences. Yeah, your, your experience is, a track, is tracks with mine. One, I've been called in to facilitate strategic negotiations at the beginning between founders and then between founders and investors, where yeah. we where we're not looking at the business deal. We're looking at we're looking at the underlying values, the underlying assumptions, expectations, and interest needs and goals and desires of all the parties. And I and identifying those in a comprehensive way to see whether or not there really is true alignment. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, people are kind of blown away about what they've been missing when they're just focusing on the numbers. And yeah. fortunately, they've been able to get alignment after all the hidden expectations and assumptions were developed. And then to your point about what happens as a company matures, I've been called in to deal with conflicts as a peacemaker and mediator where just exactly what you're describing occurred. The founder visions diverge or the interest between the, the founders and the investors diverge or the worst, the worst of all cases, you've got a 50% owner who leaves the company but still has veto power over everything that's being done. I've mediated a fair number of those cases too. Yeah, I, I'm sure there is there's there's a lot of passion and a lot of emotion in those. There is those situations, given how much people have all invested in it. And that's probably why I get called in because I'm really good at listening and de-escalating strong emotions. Yeah. Well, this this call the show is called Listening with Leaders. How important is listening in your in your practice and in your business? You know, listening to me is a life is a life skill and um, one that people should continually be investing in. You not only have to listen for what you're being told, but to listen carefully to understand what you what you're not hearing. And you know, sometimes um, you because of the experience of seeing so many companies that we work with, um, you will sometimes identify things that are not being asked for, but need to be explained in, and, and help your clients be really educated so that they can make educated, informed decisions around things that are going to have tremendous significance later. So I, I think like in, in many areas, the ability to listen to your clients, to hear what they're saying, and to, re, you know, as I said, to listen not just to, to what, what you're hearing and not hearing becomes important. So, you know, I've always been, as, as we had a chance to get to know each other a little bit, and I'm, I, I think the training around and experience around learning to really listen is is one that people should be working on throughout their lives to get better and better at. I agree. It it, it really is the foundational skill of life. And unfortunately, we're not taught how to listen as children. And we're not really taught how to listen in any formal systematic way. So it's it's very ad hoc. Some people naturally develop as good listeners. I know as lawyers, we're trained to listen to words for information. Uh, so I was a trial lawyer, a civil trial lawyer for 20 right. business and commercial cases. And of course, I was t totally focused on facts and what's the story here. But I've since learned that 
the emotions underneath the words are even more important than the words themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, which has led me to a very different career path than I ever expected when, <laughs> I, started, when I started out. And a, and a very important one. Well, thank you. Um, as you work with these founders, another thing that I'm really interested in is our leadership principles. And the, these are typically founders are, I would say they're generally younger people with not a lot of leadership experience. And they're starting out, to your point, following their passion. How do they develop their leadership skills as they slowly build their, or, or maybe quickly build their organizations and their, and their companies? You know, it's interesting. We see a broad range of ages of people uh, starting companies. I think, you know, it used to be many, you know, decades ago, many decades ago, on the path of being an entrepreneur and starting a company wasn't as um, people didn't strive to do that as much as they do now. And it wasn't looked at in the way that people yeah, look at it mm -hmm. now. And so we see people with tremendous experience and leadership within companies leaving later in life and saying, if I'm never, if I'm ever going to do it, this is the time. And people who are, who have that bring that, they may not have the startup skills yet, but they've got the, the leadership skills. Some people are, just naturally uh, strong at at leading. A lot of people invest in developing that skill. So they understand as the company grows that they have to grow with the company if they're going to continue to lead. And there are ways like you can work on and develop listening skills. There are ways to work on and develop leadership skills. Um, you know, when there's two of you there's and you're you're starting and then you go to four and then you go to 10 and then you go to 20 and you know then it's several hundred and in each of those elements the top of leadership skills that are needed to continue to drive the organization forward change that's right and Radically. evolve and so um what you'll find is some people can grow with the business some people step off once it gets to a certain size but I think that we, one of the things we do with, with younger, earlier stage entrepreneurs is by being their partner and having gone through building and scaling companies and having worked with companies doing that, we, you know, we also work with them to help fill in gaps. And then also with early stage companies, you, in addition to leadership, understanding your blind spots, not everyone can be good at everything. Right. And so one of the great things early on is to be able to identify what the company is going to need, where you're strong, where you're weak, and where you can, in areas that you don't have, aren't your core strengths, to bring in advisors, to bring in co-founders, to bring in uh, other people that you can surround yourself with. I mean, one of the amazing things now versus 30 years ago the general startup ecosystems in different cities and different counties and different communities is so robust now. There, there is so there are accelerators and there are mentors and there are right. incubators. There, there is so much. Um, I look at a company that I co-founded in the nineties versus looking at 
at the the early 2000s versus looking at now. And um, th there are so many resources out there for entrepreneurs to to tap into that can that can really help them fill in gaps in leadership and gaps in skills. And, you know, the other thing that strikes me is post-pandemic, we've gone to a virtual world. So you're no longer limited geographically to the people on your team. Yes. And I think and, that, that's that's a huge game changer. It's, it's tremendous. And it, it, we're seeing it, I mean, we're seeing it in our companies with all these distributed teams mm -hmm. where um, the technology um, infrastructure was there to allow for uh, these, to be able to have distributed teams be able to be incredibly productive and, and effective. Uh, we're seeing it in, in Next, in our legal practice, where we went from mainly a regional focus before COVID to a national and global group of startups that we we work with now. Um, and again, that 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 wasn't available or even perceived as being possible before before COVID. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, one more question, then I'll let you go. Um, this is the one I always like to ask people. Tell us one thing about yourself that we wouldn't know unless you revealed it to us. For me, one of the um, one of my early I had a a loss very early on of of a young spouse hmm. to cancer when with when I was when I was in my early 30s and um had two young children at the time and one of the things that came out of that was a nonprofit that focused on helping families with um where a parent with young children was diagnosed with cancer because we found a lot of um services were given there weren't as many people in that age group that and the infrastructure and support we were fortunate to be able to have a lot of support but as we looked around we saw it was a as it was a real gap in the support services for families with young children but it was a a foundational time in my life that uh going through that at at an age and has really helped shape who who I am and and what I do and how I approach things. So the 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 loss and the grief and the sadness transmuted into creating a nonprofit that can support other people that went through the Correct. same thing that you did. That's amazing. Correct. And that's that's how you create meaning in life. And that's how you create happiness in life, even if it comes out of tragedy. Yeah. And and being able to build, being able to you know, work through something like that and figure out how to translate that into helping other people. And I think that's at a core of of a lot of of what I do. And even where if at its roots, where next comes from and being able to help so many entrepreneurs uh, around the world achieve success and bring their passions and their uh, dreams and their visions into the world, which in turn help other people. 
That's right. I would, I, in fact, I would say people ask me, well, how, how do you find meaning in life? And I say, serve others. Yeah. And that sounds like it's exactly what you do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. Been great talking to you. Um, this is Anthony Millen. His uh, company is called Next. And the website is next.law. So if you are a entrepreneur or a startup and you need some really interesting legal services, check it out. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.